0: The Squareball Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 144 of The Squareball Podcast. I'm Dan Moylan. I've got with me Michael Normanson. Hello. Moscow White. Daniel Chapman's here. Hello. And today a very special guest from The Athletic. It's Phil Hay. Hello. Right, straight into it Jeremy Paxman style then. Blue ticks are for people in Geordie Shore. Is that a hill that you are prepared to die on, Phil Hay of The Athletic?
2: Quotes you should never have given, things you should never have said. I still stand by that though, and I still think it's it's absolutely true. But it was a requirement of the job that I did get verified. So after almost ten years, I've given in and I've accepted a, a white tick, not a blue tick, I keep getting told. But yeah, apologies to everybody from Jolly Shaw. I love I love you dearly. Um and I'm one of you now. How is the new job going then? Is it all right? It's been great. I've really, really enjoyed it. We're about two weeks in at the moment. Um and I mean, a lot of people will will have seen it. A lot of people probably won't at this stage. But it's a kind of shift away from what I was doing at the Evening Post in the sense that at the Evening Post, it was a lot of breaking news. It was a lot of um, immediate reporting post-match um, instant match reports ratings and and what the Athletic were looking for from me and, and from the other guys they've taken on was more long form writing more feature writing that style of, of journalism and and it has been great to be given the time and, and the flexibility to do much more of that and they've put together a really good team of writers as well and, and I do think on there even aside from the Leeds United stuff which I, I shouldn't be a judge of there's loads of great Great content, loads of really, really really good articles for people who are interested in in football in a more wider sense. So very, very happy, very much enjoyed it.
1: On a personal level, better for life as well, is it not having to do as much?
2: It is. It is. I mean, I've I've got two young girls who are well into the routine of me disappearing constantly and typing till all hours. But it has been a change of pace. And I guess after sort of 13 years at the Evening Post, that's not a bad thing for me, especially since I'm getting close to 40. What's your health and all that? Uh, But no, it's been it's been great. And and that was one of the the big appeals. But generally speaking, I I just really, really like the sound of the project, I like the idea of what they were trying to do. And I have to say, I know, I know people have to pay for it and, and I'm very grateful and appreciative of anybody who does pay for it and I hope they feel that they're getting value for money. But I like the idea of the industry moving towards a subscription model so that the work that people do, similar with yourselves on the square ball, the work that people do, the effort they, they put in, does lead to some sort of financial financial comeback. And I felt for a long time that it's the way football writing and journalism in, generally, in general does need to go. Um, and I hope, I hope it'll prove to be a good move
1: which segues us nicely into the Extra Ball. If you want to catch up with us on that and pay us a few pounds a month to, uh, to listen to us talk nonsense, you can find that at thesquareball.net. Same story as well for issue one of the magazine. That was out for Forest. It'll be available for next couple of home games. That one, is that right?
0: If this lasts.
1: Yeah, it could sell out.
0: Definitely the next game.
1: There, uh, yeah, That's available on the website. As our subscriptions for this forthcoming season, whether it's digital or paper, all at thesquareball.net. <laughs> If you want to hear our immediate take on the Wigan match to see just how foolish we are, listen to the match ball, which is available on this podcast feed as well. What did we get right or wrong then? Uh, well, we'll answer those questions in just a sec. First, a quick word on the Salford game, because we didn't do a match ball for that. And we haven't really analysed it, have we? That was uh, quite nice. We just sort of patiently waited and, and picked them off. And Phil, you were in the away end, so saw it from a fan's eye view.
2: I did, yes. Um I must confess, in the interest of being fair to Salford, we we were slightly late with the application, although not past the, the deadline, but essentially it's a small press box over there as you'd expect in a, in what was an only ground for a long, long time. Um, so there was no seat for us and, and I was planning to watch in the pub in York and then I think it was you Good Self actually retweeted saying that somebody had broken down at Thusk and had a, a free ticket going spare if anybody could give them a lift and I was literally 20 minutes down the road so I duly obliged and and got in the away end and a really good night it was really good night it was. I suspect it was a, an awful lot tamer than it would be for a, a kind of hardcore league game um, or a league game where there was something massive riding on it everybody was in, in fine fettle, good mood it was, it was a strange night really because I don't know what I expected of Salford but it's a fairly rough and ready area I, I thought it would be quite a feisty atmosphere I thought it, you know it would be quite I thought it would be quite a difficult atmosphere for the players to play in and, and, and it just didn't feel like that to me at all it felt quiet it felt quite manufactured. Um I don't know if I want to go so far and say that it feels like a little bit of a vanity project for the class of ninety two who are running it. But um it was difficult to to see that build into anything that's going to be a, a kind of huge beast, a huge animal in the future. I don't know. Maybe they've got the money and the, the, the ideas to get them up to League One, possibly up into the championship like like certain smaller clubs have in the past. But um I didn't get it me really. I didn't I, I didn't feel it. There was that little attempt before I wasn't there to play it as a mini Manchester United v. Leeds United but it didn't feel anything like that
3: I'd go as far as saying it was a vanity project particularly watching it through the sky prism on TV where there was so much saying you can watch more of this on the documentary and reading out adverts well if you if you're enjoying this match you can see more of Salford on the class of 92 and I'm thinking, am I watching a football match or an advert for a documentary series and the a lot of the things that we're talking about of um, well this they want games like this every week and that's what these players are aiming for though one of these players are going to be with them in the Premier League if they go there and this stadium probably won't be what they use in the Premier League. They'll have to do, a lot would have to happen. You probably could have had a seat in the press box if the whole place wasn't full of Dennis Law and Alex Ferguson, all the Nevilles and Nicky But I guess they own the damn thing. But yeah, all these guys in the stand watching it think and it's like, well, it's not Man United. It's, I
0: think it's one of the dangers of being a retired millionaire is that you've got enough cash to do something like this whereas normally you'd, you know, like golf or put a train set in the loft or something. You instead just go, Should
2: we buy a football club and just fuck about with this for a bit? I'd love to I'd love to know what the long term plan with it is because it felt as if there were again it wouldn't it wouldn't be right to say day trippers, but it felt as if there were a lot of people dropping in on that Tuesday night to have a look and see what it was all about. And because of that, it, you know, in the, the home end, in the, the home areas of the ground, it, it felt pretty sterile and, and pretty flat, I thought, for for what would seem to be their biggest game in I mean, they, they obviously promoted last season, but a big game by their standards. And it just didn't seem to me that, that it was a, a project that was kind of going to build and build and build to a level where they were going to become a hugely established club. I think they could be a football league club for, for a while, but they're in the shadow of, of that lot down the road. I mean, quite literally, it is, you know, a stone's throw away. And, and it was hard at the end of it to, to kind of understand what the bigger picture was, was going to be. Easy win, though. And meanwhile, Barry die. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. If you wanted yeah. to uh, invest and in a club around there, there's probably there's one that needs it. And I think, uh, I was reading this morning, the, the Bolton are struggling to, to play their next game as well. So the are big problems round about. And yeah, it is quite strange when you look at it like that.
1: Sky lapsed it up though, because the coverage for that, and you did dodge a bullet there by not watching it in the pub in York, Phil, because uh, it was absolutely nauseating was the coverage on Sky. <laughs> nauseating. They were
0: very, uh, Goodman in particular, was absolutely devastated when our second goal went in. He didn't speak for about five minutes after we scored our second goal. He was, there was complete silence for him. He, he was shocked. And there, there was another moment in the first half where we were obviously well on top. And it said, he'd just been praising what a good job Solford were doing. And then a stat flashed up that said, we'd had 80% possession in the last 10 minutes or something. And he just left it a little pause and then just went, well, possession isn't everything. Said, <laughs> what, what stat could they have shown you, Don, that would have made you convinced that, that they're getting absolutely battered? Here?
3: Their community work, that's what they started in the second half, the more goals went into his last back and forth. There's a lot of good community work related to this club and it's a great project for the future. Very excited. Adam Rooney really bought into the project. That was all where I started, burst out laughing. For was, several
1: thousand pounds a week. Exactly.
2: It was, yeah, it was a, a strange He was, he was previously being forced to live in Aberdeen, though. Don't forget that. So, you know. <laughs> a niche Scottish reference for us. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get one in every time.
1: Right, so let's move on to Wigan then because um, we've trashed that suitably enough now, I think, Salford. Not that it needs much more trash in Salford. I've been there.
3: If Berardi can score against them, then there's not much hope for them.
1: That's very true. Fox in the box as well, that It was one. a good
3: finish, actually. He needs to be a, get a grip of Bamford in training. And just be like These are the movements at a corner that you need to make. Front post run, cheeky finish...
2: He's, he scored so few times, Brady, that he literally has no idea what to do after he scores. He just kind of ran away into the centre circle and you could tell that he was thinking, I don't know where to go now. And and got mobbed in a way that players just don't get mobbed scoring the second goal against the League Two club um, in the first round of the League Cup. But it was, it was great.
1: He just kind of laughs as a celebration, doesn't he? Well, this is unexpected. Having, a, <laughs> having a, a jolly nice time. When we interviewed
0: him, we asked him when he'd last scored and he didn't know, did he? He I don't think he, he, before he just,
2: Newport I don't think he'd ever scored a, a competitive goal no. I, I went through his record once because you struggle to believe that somebody who's played as much as he has can't have can't have had one come off the back at some point but no no yeah. generally hadn't he was like uh, it was youth football yeah I think <laughs> he was 14 <laughs>
1: Bamford uh, back on form, though, and that, that was a, a classic finish. or well, the second one in particular, wasn't it? Well, we're talking about
3: Berardi's good run to the front post, cheeky little finish, and it's almost identical. The two very good touches together. Well, how many touches did Bamford take to get that second one in? I watch it back and I still can't count how it actually got just...
2: It was, it was a proper, like, primary seven goal, that, wasn't it? Of loads of people in the box and everybody just pushes towards the goal line and eventually it's in
1: and it was stuck to him wasn't it it was like it was stuck to his legs probably the same
3: for the first one as well where it's like oh, alright everybody else has had a goal we'll, we'll put it on the goal line
1: see if you can get that in oh hit it a bit harder <laughs> one of the things that we did touch on in the match ball actually was and I think we called it largely right when we sat down and gave the raw reaction that perhaps he needed a goal like that not trying to finish off one of these Bielsa super moves, just bundle it in with the, with your knob, just get it in the back of the net, any old how, off your arse, it doesn't matter. And I think it's probably done his confidence good. Not that he seems to be uh, suffering from a lack of confidence.
2: Well, the, the funny thing was that the first goal was a bit of a super move. They did really well to play it out of the, the right full-back area, Hernandez and Dallas, and caught Wigan on on the hoof. and And you notice it away from home, they, they just have so much more space to play in than they do at home. We, we were sat, I was sat with Dan Moscow. I should call you, It's two of you, uh, up on the gantry for the Forest game and we were saying at one point, the space that Forest were packing into when Leeds had the ball was literally about 20 to 25 yards in front of their goal, which makes it so difficult to play through. But when they catch teams like they did Wigan for the first goal, it's incredibly difficult to defend against and it was a tap-in for Bamford and there was that horrible moment when it kind of came off his foot where you wondered whether he he was going to miss it from from that position Uh, and I still wonder how it was that Forshaw missed that header from about three yards out but then again, I think you go back to 2016 for his last goal and if you haven't seen that goal for Middlesbrough against Reading it's got to be seen to to be believed but yeah, it it was a final move and and it's got to be good for him getting in the goals early on that's three already Decent tally after three weeks. I mean, oh, yeah. really Please. is. And Joint top scorer. He not And I mean, I know he gets a lot of criticism, and there are things that frustrate me about him. And I never felt his movement was as good as Kamar Roofs. You never felt that he roughed up centre backs in the way that you kind of need to, even if you're a player with, with a lot of finesse. But he can finish. I mean, we've all seen him do it over the years, and he tends to score, he tends to score, get on runs of goals. You know, he tends to score goals in bunches. So you hope that this might be a little flurry for him.
1: We did laugh on the match ball as well, thinking, do you think he almost missed that first one? Or did he just take a second to open up his body and pick his spot in the far corner?
2: Opened up his body, didn't he? Yeah, definitely. I definitely. think there's an element of panic in
3: there. I think he saw how was. easy it was. Yeah. <laughs> I there's a moment where he's, I have to get this in. Instead of just being finish. it, it was, been, this has to happen.
2: It would have been Luke Varney against Southampton standards missing from there, really. Almost, almost impossible angles. Had yeah, the ball was on?
0: almost dead as well. It wasn't there was not any pace on it either, was there? It, it couldn't have been a more a more tappy tapping.
3: That is the plan though. It's like you're saying the part of the uh the Bielsa plot is to get them with the ball with nobody in front of them and a yard to goal is kind of the the dream. But we usually see it with Ayling finishing those off or Stuart Dallas finishing those off or Forshaw coming in for that header, but it is just get it to the goal line. That's where you should you think he should be able to prosper because he, he's not being asked to score for him. 25 yards all like, the time Like
2: Niketti against Salford I mean that was a great goal And, and that was what was needed Because they were doing the same as Forest It was it was back and forward from Leeds Kind of left and right Looking you know looking for gaps And then that great ball from Shackleton And all of a sudden it's opened up And Niketti's movement for that goal Was, was great and gave him a tap in from two yards And you're right You you don't want to be looking for 25 yard finishes Even though Salford seemed to be doing their best To bang in about 10 of them in the second half No way past Casilla though He's looking very solid. He
1: is. He's doing well. And Bielsa seems to be happy saying that we're growing into into form. Do we agree with that? Are we all happy with where things are going now, right now?
0: Yeah. I think the one thing we didn't mention from the Salford game either, I think he, even though he's not getting in the first team just yet, I think it maybe showed why Costa has been bought as, almost instead of Clark because they both played in that game and Costa was infinitely more effective, I thought. He was involved in absolutely everything, whereas Clark did as he does, drifting in and out, did a, a few nice things. But you've got to think across the season, if we've essentially swapped
1: those two, you would rather have Costa. Yeah, I do struggle to see where, where Clark fits in this season. I think he's still The under gonna, 23s. Oh, he's playing five-a-side in York, isn't he? We've been sent more video footage. You know, we, we spoke about this a couple of weeks back on the podcast about you, I think you mentioned Moscow. You were doubting whether it was really mm. him or someone who just looked like him. We've been sent video footage on WhatsApp and it very much is Jack Clark having a knockabout in York with no shin pads on.
2: Lad loves football. Can't, can't complain about that. Don't tell the insurers. They'll not be happy. It's difficult for them though. I mean, because it's not even, it's not even a simple case of form because they've got six loanees. Somebody is going to have to miss out every game and Leeds being Leeds, there will be periods where they don't have six loanees fit because that kind of goes without saying or certainly did last season. But, I went up to the 23s yesterday, just to just to plug, I've done a piece on it tomorrow, <laughs> so if, if you want to read and you want to sign up, please feel free, uh, but I went to watch him in the 23s because obviously he hadn't been at the Wigan game, he didn't travel to the Wigan game, he wasn't in the squad, and, and he played 90 minutes against Millwall, and I would guess on that basis probably isn't going to be in the squad against Brentford on Wednesday. Costa got 45 and Nketiah got 45. They'll almost certainly be on the bench with the, the same lineup. And I don't think at this stage you'd have Clark sitting and saying, well, you know, this is a nightmare. What am I going to do? But it does make you realise that somebody is going to have to sit out every week for as long as the six are, are fit. And at the moment it's him. And that isn't really going to change while the team are playing well and while the guys who are on the bench are, are making a bit of an impact or are, are very much in favour with Bielsa. And it is a strange scenario because he is, however highly you rate him, he is a £9.5 million player who, as of Saturday, couldn't get in the squad. Strange situation. It's kind of a peril of
3: Bielsa as manager. Or there is there is a possibility if we didn't have injuries this season, we could get all the way through to the end without even using Costa or in Absolutely. Is, or Absolutely. That would be his preferred yeah, no, it's, thing it, if we just keep playing as we are they don't play and Jack Clark doesn't even get in the squad at all, um, which is crazy. But that's why they call him El Loco.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, we'll talk more about the transfer dealings in the next bit. I just wanted to ask this one, an open question. And what have we learned so far this season about this Leeds team? Have we learned anything or is it just more of the same from last season?
2: I think one of the things I've I've noticed is that he's managed to get a little bit extra out of Harrison already. Definite extra percentage out of Dallas who... Was good defensively on Saturday, but was was even better at popping up in useful areas. Um, and when he was down at Brentford, he, he had a reputation for being a, a really dangerous winger and for being a real sort of sniper going forward. And he was a bit like that at Wigan. He was creating things. He was he was getting into space and causing trouble. And for sure, having looked like a fairly kind of run of the mill centre mid last season, is starting to look box to box. And I thought was probably the best player. Um, over the weekend just really good into playing and really effective so he's obviously finding little bits of extra in in certain players which will, will definitely make a difference in terms of the way they're playing it's identical, isn't it? I mean, there's no change at all. And it's quite funny that it is identical, but they've wiped the floor with Bristol city. They should have beaten Forrest easily deserved to beat Wigan. And I think we'd have beaten Wigan, even if it had been 11 v 11, they just had that, that little edge, that, that bit of class that Wigan didn't. And I've, I find it funny that there's so much out there about Bielsa and so much you can analyze, but it's still such a challenge to work him out and work his team out, even though it's pretty much all there in, in front of you.
3: Yeah. We've seen the two different tactics in the Forest and, Wigan gains Forest, of them just staying all the way back. Wigan tried the first 20 minutes where they were kicking us. And that's what happened to uh, Preston last year was at the League Cup match where they came out kicking us and ended up with a player sent off in the first half because if you just keep fouling our players, it, it backfires on you. I think the thing I've learned so far this season is from those two games, Nottingham Forest didn't get the ball in our box once. They didn't complete a pass. Wigan managed it twice. Obviously, them only having 10 players help, but I don't think they would have got many more if they would had 11. And we do look, despite Garcia in the first match, we seem better at the back. Ben White seems a lot calmer, a lot more capable, a lot more plugged into Yeltsin's way of playing than Pontus was. And Casilla um, as well, when he's not messing about. <laughs> but the confidence the players have in him, I don't think, it frustrates people sometimes. I think when, if Pablo Hernandez is on halfway and he turns and passes back to Garcia. But it gives us an option if we can't get through this rank of, 11 players that are in front of us, they trust that they can go back to the keeper and it will come really quickly down the other side. Whereas Peacock Farrell, I think he, he wasn't quite as, as sharp with that. So, and Liam Cooper as well. I think because we're, we're concentrating on, on Bamford so much, I think some of the defence has gone there by the by and, and because Stuart Dallas doesn't play as a defender. So our right back is, a, is a, an extra winger. But they've been really good as a unit. I think yeah. we're, we're looking really solid, just that, that central defence, which was the one bit everybody was worried about after the derby match last season and after selling Pontus Janssen and Hal May and every other defender. We seem to just get rid of them one by one. Actually, that looks absolutely fine. And Berardi was really good against uh, Salford as well. So we've got that confidence of him coming in. Luke Ayling, if he can't get Stuart Dallas out of the team, he's a reserve centre-back who I'd probably trust doing Ben White's job. So everything looks... Absolutely fine. If, if the other team aren't going to get into our box more than twice every 180 minutes, we're probably going to be all well, right. Forrest,
2: I think Forrest had four touches in the box, which is a kind of laughable amount, but then it tallies with the game that we were watching, which was pretty much to the exception of the 10 minutes after Leeds scored. Only you know, most of those touches for- were the goal. I think it probably was, yeah. Um, it's easy to underestimate with you see it, the way he's been asked to play. If you look at the speed of his distribution, he is really, really quick whenever the ball comes to him at looking for passes and, and trying to launch the ball. He, he plays high up because Bielsa wants him to play high up. I think there's an element of lunatic fringe about him, um, without any question. But then that's goalkeepers for you. Um, and I think I would take a. A slightly mental goalkeeper over a, a really kind of bland, boring one, particularly when you think about the way Bielsa wants wants to play, wants it out quickly from the back. And it is difficult and it does put pressure on the centre-backs. But I agree with you, I think they've looked really, really strong defensively. I don't think so far they've had the pressure playing against one of the better teams in the division. I don't think it's been a run of run of opposition who are going to particularly threaten the playoffs this season so we'll, we'll find out a bit more when, when we start getting around to Fulham and, and West Brom and, and everything else but it does look really solid it does We mentioned the
0: speed of um, Casillas distribution after the Wigan game and I suppose like you're saying in the Forest game where teams do compress against us having a, someone who can make a quick counter-attack it might be the only chance you actually get to do it against someone like Forest who sits deep is when the keeper's got the ball at the opposite end of the field maybe he can chuck it half the length of the pitch to Costa and maybe that might be our one of our rare opportunities to actually score.
1: Quick reminder that if you want to support us and get behind this podcast, please subscribe to The Extra Ball. We are doing more shows and it's thanks to everybody who has subscribed to The Extra Ball that we can do that. Uh, this time out, we are tackling this.
3: But he went on as well. Like, I'm not proud of saying this, but he's uh, he never got going at Spurs because he, he had a really bad injury and had to retire. And I was glad. I'm not wise well, people would wish an injury on somebody and it wasn't something that, you know, was a, a horrendous, like Alfie Harland having his career ended by Roy Keane and stuff.
1: I was just like, you know what? I'm glad that didn't work for you. If you want to catch up with the extra ball, two ninety nine a month, your first month free, find that at squareball.net forward slash the Extra Ball. You mentioned the 23s there, Phil, then. So how was that up at Thorpe Arch?
2: It was a good game in the end, actually. It wasn't promising a huge amount in, in the first half, but Leeds very kindly made a game of it by going 2-0 up and then conceding two goals against what I have to say was a proper route one Millwall team. I suppose if you're talking about continuity, they've got it as much as, as Leeds seemed to. But it did feel towards the end of it like Millwall might nick it until Bo gets banged in a def- deflected free kick with literally the last kick of the game. So 3-2 in to, to get started. But I mean, there were... There was a hefty amount of of talent in that Leeds team. Costa was in there. um, You had Jack Clark. You had um, Niketia in the second half. It's the usual Bielsa thing where he's, he's stretching players legs and you know in preparation for the the game against Brentford and, and most of the guys who, who hadn't had many minutes against Wigan over the weekend. Um uh, so I think as far as the the actual core group of 23s go it, it was difficult to draw any fresh conclusions about them yesterday because it was such a mashup of first team players and and academy players. But once again they'll they'll be the the strongest side in, in the division and and you get to the point of of wishing that you were getting to see these Leeds kids playing against Liverpool, Manchester City and Manchester United, Chelsea, your, your better um, academies, your, your category one academies to, to really see. I think it would it would take the experience of watching 23s football to a different level as well, you know, against that, that standard of club, which I, th- I think at some stage is going to come at Leeds and, and probably not before long. But it was good apart from the rain in the first half, um, which, which soaked us. But fortunately, I wasn't having to type anything. So it was just the poor lads from Leeds Live and, and the Evening Post who got their laptops soaked.
1: I did have a laugh at one of um, Millwall's scorers, a lad called Billy Mitchell, which is the most Millwall, Cockney, <laughs> he
2: loves his mum kind of name, isn't it? They also had Lee, uh, Lee Bradbury's lad up front who was doing a good Steve Morrison uh, impression, I felt. There is no good Steve Morrison impression. Well, I suppose if you're trying to uh, do an impression of him and you, and you get an effective one, it passes as good, doesn't it?
3: Intentions are important. You're setting out to do a bad thing. <laughs>
1: Quick word then on the transfer window. I want to get your take on it, Phil. What do you yeah. think um, prompted the late shift from Kent to Niketia then?
2: I think it it, it was a few things there. Uh, firstly, it was Anderlech coming in for Kumar Roof, which I'm sure we must have spoken about this when I was on last, but I always felt that Roof was going to go this summer because the position his contract was in and because they, they were going to struggle to... To offer him the same as Bamford was earning, and obviously Roof wanted that as top scorer last season. Kind of understandable level to to pitch your wage demands at. So he was down into his last twelve months, and it, it was a question of sell him now or risk him signing a pre-contract in January or going for a free where he likes next summer. Which I think, given that he seems to be improving year by year, would have been quite likely. There have been a fair number of offers for him. So they were left at like ten days to go, needing somebody in that role. He also was a huge fan of Ryan Kent, right from the start of the window, and I think I think his preference at that stage would have been to throw the roof money at Kent and and get a permanent deal done from Liverpool. But the conversation that went on at Leeds was. Do we need another winger, which Kent is, as much as Bielsa was talking about kind of redesigning him as a number 10 or potentially a false nine, whatever whatever it was going to be. Do we need that or would we be better off just going for an out and out centre forward, given that we've only really got Bamford. Roberts is injured at the moment, but is equally very young and, and quite sort of untested at this level. So in the end, like about 40 or 50 clubs, they, they got on to... Niketia down at Arsenal it was always going to be a loan deal He's a he is a first team player in the making down there that's how Arsenal think of him um, and managed through a, a really strange process where Victor Otter had to go to London Colney and pitch to Arsenal staff um, for an hour with PowerPoint slides and videos and everything else but how Niketia was going to play at Leeds what he was going to do how he was going to fit in how Bielsa's style would, would suit him Arsenal agreed to that deal and, and that's really the reason why they've been left with six loanees I think originally the plan would have been at the last minute had Roof gone to have got um, Ryan Kent in the door but they went from the Kettier they'd, they'd already lined up the goalkeeper Meslier from um, Lorient in France it was too late to really roll back on on either of those so they both came in um, at short notice just before the deadline and, and four loanies became six at that point uh, but I don't know, it it seemed to me the right decision to go for somebody like Niketia rather than Kent. You couldn't help feeling with Kent that you, you'd potentially just be in another situation like you are with Jack Clark, where, okay, he's out of, the, out of the squad because he can't have six low knees, but equally, he's on a bench where you've already got Costa um, as another option out wide. Did they need another winger? I don't think they did, regardless of how good Kent is. So it, it seemed, like a, seemed like a good way to go. Do you think maybe they'll go back in for him in January? Possibility of that? For Kent, well, I mean... Liverpool have been saying all along, he's not going on loan. It's got to be a permanent deal. But I'm kind of waiting for him joining Rangers on August the 31st on the basis that it's surely either a move like that, unless anybody does come in and and offer big money for him, or he sits around doing nothing until January because he isn't going to get a game at at Liverpool. So if he was there in January and Leeds felt they needed somebody like that, then perhaps, although financially I don't think Leeds would have the cash to do do a permanent deal for him. But if he's elsewhere on loan, then obviously that boat will, boat will have sailed. And, and the one thing Bielsa doesn't really like is having surplus players kicking about, doing nothing. And, and surely with Niketi and the squad, it, there are too many attacking players now to fit into a side which never changes when it's doing well.
1: I mean, our sort of general feelings on the window then, Michael. I mean, you, um, you were sort of saying it feels slightly underwhelming, but do you think we've done enough?
0: It's Bielsa's choice. It feels underwhelming to me because we've not bought a centre-back which I still feel we are short of, but that it seems that is Bielsa's choice. He would he would have probably happily had Kent as well. He'd have rather he'd rather have five wingers than three centre backs, which is his choice, I suppose. It does terrify me slightly. And Ketcher, we I've not seen much of him. I mean, I don't know if if you've got any insight, Phil, of whether or not Arsenal see him actually replacing Bamford at any point in this season. I think they would. Say. I
2: think they would want to. I mean, it's not unusual this, but. The way the contract's structured, it will cost Leeds more money if they don't play him than it will if they do, because they they always include penalty clauses, which is basically to encourage clubs to think that if you're taking this player on loan, you actually need to play him, rather than just having him in the squad. And it has shifted quite drastically from the days where kids would get sent out of Arsenal, Chelsea, whatever else, and the clubs they were going to were doing them a favour by giving them minutes. Now it's it's Arsenal who certainly the, the attitude is that they're doing all the favors it's on their terms you know you, you've got to really fight to convince them that it's it's worth the move but they see him as a player who's going to play in their first team and i think because they got pepe from leo again he's been a little bit squeezed out there they were kind of in two minds about whether they wanted him to go but they, they realized that chances were he, he wasn't going to play much down there Um, this season so they'd want him to play I I think at some stage he's going to come into the picture I don't think there's any any doubt about that but I don't know whether he's got the versatility to play anywhere other than up front I don't know how he would be as a number 10 I don't think he's a a wide player but I have to say from his goal um, his goal away at Salford and also just watching some of his movement and his his reading of the game yesterday he looks a good player really does it'd
3: be wonderful if we sent him back to Arsenal and he's now he's a a full (laughs) back (laughs) <laughs> so or a I the, yeah I wonder what the penalty clause would, that would be <laughs> we've completely retrained him as something else there you go good
1: for his development do you think we've done enough then Phil
2: I'm with Michael, and I, I, I wish they brought in another centre back. But I felt the same last season. I, I thought they were short of a centre back last season. We asked Bielsa about it constantly, and and his answer was always, like, there are plenty of other players who I can double up in that position. So Phillips can play there, Aileen can play there, Berardi can play there. It was, it's almost a case of you know, Bamford's quite a tall lad, so if he needs to go back there, we'll we'll just train him up and, and we'll crack on. Uh, and going back years at Leeds and. And and also, you know, periods with this regime as well. You you look at the the January window with Monk. Um, you look at the January window last year when they did try to do Dan James and, and were unlucky not to get that done. But there are periods, you know, of the last decade or so where you have thought, are, are this club interested in spending money or are they trying to do this as cheaply as possible? Um, but on this occasion, I, I do think that from Bielsa's point of view, he just didn't want another defender in. Um, and because of that, there was no point discussing it with him. And I don't know if that's going to catch up with him. I don't know if it if it will be a problem at some stage. I think it'll be a concern if either Cooper or White are missing, because then it becomes very makeshift, and you start to you start to take a chance on players who haven't necessarily looked great in that position or aren't used to that position. So so it is a risk, but he seems quite happy to take it. And yeah, it, it just
1: as they say, it is it is what it is. You speak of Dan James there. Have we all watched the documentary now? Yes. And while well, you're in it. Uh, yes, start. more than ever delayed. <laughs> but the Dan James bit, I think that was the bit for me that was most instructive and most informative. We learned most from the whole thing, I think, in that um, that particular section. That was a difficult watch, particularly as you can sort of see the, uh, the hopes of a young man fading. I mean, it's worth pointing out that he's probably landed on his feet now quite nicely. However, at that moment, you couldn't help but feel a bit sorry for him and particularly in light of the fact that he's lost his dad now who was there.
2: Yeah, and I mean, he, he went on the... Day after he, his family lived up in North Cave, and I think still do. And and on the day after the the deal all collapsed, he basically went over there for a few days. He missed Swansea's game at the weekend, but actually was was pretty grown up about it. Went back to Swansea and, and cracked on. And he was kind of in the, the slightly fortunate position. And you can say this now with hindsight that it wasn't a one off opportunity for him. He was such a good player that that something else was always gonna always gonna come up. And and the reality is as well that had the had he signed and had the season gone in the way that it did last season anyway, Leeds wouldn't have been able to buy him in the summer. it would have been too expensive. I mean it was about fifteen to eighteen million pounds over at Old Trafford when they took him in. So he would have gone he would have gone somewhere else. But it it was no secret about what happened because we were all fairly well briefed about what had gone on. But seeing it in the flesh was was something else. And I think it was the the fact that nobody who was involved in it, James, Although, Kinnear, anybody else Genuinely thought it was going to fall apart until about 20 minutes beforehand when suddenly the, the realisation dawned that Jenkins and Swansea just weren't going to sign this off. And actually, even though he was there and he'd, he'd done his media work and he'd signed his contract and he'd, or had signed a lot of the paperwork and done his medical, that they were genuinely going to pull the plug. And I don't think anybody could, could quite believe it. I don't know whether I go as far as to say it's the most bizarre transfer scenario I've ever seen at Leeds. That would be stretching it a little bit. But it was it was very weird because, I mean, we had... He was at, at Thorpe Arts was medical at two. So we had a lot of stuff written in advance of him signing for the following day's paper. And there was one mad scramble at 10 o'clock to rewrite everything and to, to turn it all around because our paper went to print about 10 minutes after the deadline. So it was a right old mess on a lot of fronts that night.
0: Would the... Um, obviously... On the night itself, it was Swansea's fault, but is there anything, it wasn't really mentioned in the documentary, that we'd kind of had a month to do this. And if maybe that had been the day before, maybe the American owners would have been able to go over the over the head of Jenkins and, and
2: actually sign it off. It would definitely have given them more time. Um, I think that there was a lot of arguing over the, the deal itself. And the original idea was that it was going to be a permanent move. And I think Initially, Leeds thought they would get him for about three to five. And then the more traction the story gained, the more his price started to go up. And it got to a level where they weren't going to be able to afford to do it permanently. So they negotiated the loan with a, a fixed option to sign him permanently in the summer if, if they got promoted. The mistake they did make was that they tried initially to pay the loan fee, which I think was about one and a half million pounds at the end of the season. And needless to say, Swansea, I mean, Swansea, Swansea were having a desperate deadline day because they were, at the point of losing James, they'd let Bonnie go. They're about to, they were potentially going to lose Leroy Fair to, um, to Aston Villa. Montero went to West Brom. And with James, it, it was ultimately going to be a case of we're loaning one of our best young talents to another club in the division for the second half of the season. And I mean, I, I did the points on deadline day. I was thinking to myself, imagine Leeds trying to sell this same window to people around here. You know, what, what would be going on? And Jenkins, you know, I, I think. It was wrong to treat James like that, but part of me does respect Jenkins for at the death saying, "Do you know what? I support this club and this is my club, and I'm I'm not having this." You know, it's it's totally wrong. So in the end, Leeds said, "Look, we'll pay half the the loan fee up front. We'll pay half in the summer, which is pretty standard practice, and and should have been should have been fine, shouldn't have been a problem." But it was at that point really that Jenkins just took his phone home, turned it off, um, stopped answering. Um, so it should have happened. It should have gone through. I don't even know with hindsight whether they would think that if they got on to it earlier, it, it, would have, it would have got done, I think. I went to interview Arthur a few weeks ago and he said, people always say to you, you must have a plan B. But if your plan A is sat there with his pen ready to sign the contract and the deadline's an hour away, what can you do? Well, we mentioned the documentary there. We will
1: dive into that properly um, in an episode of The Extra Ball next week. And we look forward to um, pausing your face on my telly, Phil, which we've done.
2: It was pretty awful. Yeah, I don't mean the documentary, I just mean seeing myself that much on the screen. It was funny, Bielsa said last week, we asked him if he was going to watch it, and he said, I'm not comfortable, you know, seeing myself in it. And I thought, I know what you mean. And I mean, he's in it, you know, a hundred times more than I am. But yes, it was a big screen at every man. Big I really, screen, big
1: head. <laughs> I really enjoyed your uh, your double header with Popey outside Thorpe Arch. That was fun.
2: Yeah, I'm pleased I dressed up for it and shaved. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody said to me last week, um, why did why do you look deceased in the opening credits? And I said, I said, they, they were asking me to look natural. <laughs> From Scotland. <Yes. laughs> this is my natural palette. This is me, yes.
1: <laughs> um, when you come to uh, Bizarre Transfers, which we uh, touched on then, Massimo Cellino and Mario Balotelli at the same club. I mean, I know this is slightly um, off-piste, but we, get, we have to mention it because that's insane.
2: Yeah. I have no insight into that one. I don't know how that's come about, apart from to say that Balotelli is clearly just keeping himself in the game. I mean, you forget, actually, it is a, a Serie A move and it is a Serie A club. And, and Italy being the way it is, if he bang, bangs in a few goals for Brescia, you could see a, a bigger club thinking, oh, do you know what? We'll take him. Maybe he's so, somebody Yet somebody else having a you know taking a chance and thinking, yeah, we can tame him, even though evidently nobody can. Might be a roaring success.
3: Apparently his mum started crying when he told her that he could play in uh, Brescia he says, I asked her for an opinion, but she cried. I don't know if that's because she knows who the chairman is or, um, what. she tried. <laughs> Yes. It's, um, he scored a lot of goals last season, didn't he? he was, he's been playing
2: well. He's an incredibly gifted footballer. He is. He's just massively off the wall. And, so difficult to handle and I don't think of all the people in the world who are going to find a way to handle him well Chilino is necessarily it but then If you want him to focus on his football
3: and concentrate on putting the the ball in the net and then Vern, well I suppose Vern Troyer is not going to be shooting past him anytime soon but the the distractions that come with having Chilino uh, run your club is not necessarily, but he got them promoted, admittedly he, he did sack the first manager last season after three league matches but the one he replaced him with they won Serie B, which I suppose Chilino's done that a lot of times before he came to England. It's very much his, um, his niche.
1: Did you see his comments uh, in the last 24 hours about basically everyone in the UK being a bit racist? Uh, Chilino or Balotelli? Uh, <laughs> Cellino. No. Yeah, he suggested that uh, people in Britain don't like anybody who's not British. I think he means don't didn't like him.
0: Yes. <laughs> I think there's a difference. He's conflated two things that have happened
1: there. Interesting to learn as well that we've got Debbie Jevons as a Leeds fan, who's now in charge of the EFL. So it's going to be uh, what the sunlit uplands of the football league going forward, is it?
3: They're our mates now. Yeah, she um for some she was being asked about Barry and started talking about how I'm a Leeds fan. I had the radio on underneath my pillow when I was meant to be asleep. My first boyfriend was a Leeds fan, and then she kind of it sort of descends into I don't want to uh, judge the new what, what's her actual job at the EFL. She She's the Sean Harvey. No,
2: she's chief, chief exec.
3: Chief exec. Yeah. But she does sort of start like a rambling, nostalgic, drunk. Those old wooden seats, European Cup semi-final, saving up enough money with a friend to get a car back, couldn't get a train.
1: Jumpers for goalposts. Had
3: to be at work next day. <laughs> um,
2: Isn't it? Hmm? <laughs> this isn't going to be a Paul Nuttall job is it but it turns out that she once watched a game in the, in the boozer and saw, saw Leeds beat them um, Deportivo
3: well she says she went to uh, it's the 1975 European Cup final that she reckoned she, uh, uh, she went to and yeah as a Leeds fan when I saw us go down to League 1 and the debt and what may happen to the club and the joy I was there when we got promoted went down to 10 men against Bristol Rovers and Jermaine Beckford scored I'm a fan so I'd be devastated if Barry went out of the league do something about it then. That's my. It's no good rambling on about Leeds United having wooden seats in 1975. But if, if Berry go bust, I guess there's nothing I can do about that. But I used to listen to Leeds on the radio. You run the EFL. Help them.
2: Sorry to say, I think Berry are going to go bust. I mean, there just doesn't seem to be any, any way out of this for them and nobody seems to be helping. I don't know what the, the answer to it is. Somebody was saying last week, one MP over there, I think was saying Manchester City and Manchester United need to put up the money to to save them but I mean that's no solution either and that's the problem really isn't it nobody ever has an answer to these things at all how best to to create some sort of sustainability Did you see
1: um, the exchange between uh, the chairman and one of their players on TalkSpot the clip was on Twitter where they were basically just going at each other a bit. Um, why aren't you paying us sell-up? You're bad for this club. I would have liked to have seen something like that when um, when Leeds went into administration in 2007. That would have been interesting. Yeah, we never got it with a player. We did have uh, Melvin Levi. Was it Melvin
3: Levi? It was Sebastian Sainsbury. And it might have been Gerald Krasner, in fact, on Radio Air. That's after right. a match, had a big argument about... Um, whether Sebastian. or not
2: Sainsbury's takeover was legitimate and and had any legs.
3: Yeah, we've never got quite as far as a player. I suppose Ross McCormack following, phoning up Sky Sports is as near as we've come. But they never quite plugged him through to, uh, well, I suppose there was nobody there at Road to put him through to, just the switchboard receptionist.
2: <laughs> right, Ross, sorry. I think I talked about this on the lab, last podcast I was on, that last season when Bolton were obviously having all the issues and I think it was their final game away to Brentford that um, that just didn't get played in the end. And they had Andrew Taylor on Five Live um, on the Friday morning and they were saying to him, so this uh, this game against Brentford's been planned for Tuesday next week, the Football League have said you've got to play it. And Taylor just said, I'm not being funny, but we're all going on holiday on Sunday. I don't care what they want us to do or when they want us to play. We haven't been paid for months and we're all, we're all disappearing. I thought, quite right, yeah. Yeah.
0: We were mocking Sean Harvey at the time because his solution was they've got some youth players. They can make them break a strike and
3: play. Well, and they're still in that position where they're playing Luke uh, youth players and Luke Murphy is their team. And that's why they're not doing the uh, the match this week, the cup match that they're just saying it's, we can't play them again. But it feels, Berry feels distant and Bolton sort of feels distant. But I think some of the conversation about Leeds and financial fair play this summer kind of puts us at the top end of this situation that's developing where the game below the Premier League just is not sustainable. And Radridsani's point is, I lose money every year, is kind of the, the top end of this situation that clubs like Berry in, they're losing money every year and can't afford it. We're losing money every year, can just about afford it, but there's a time limit. And there is a, I'm not one of those people that says, well, you know, be thankful for what you got because the next person could be worse. But if Radridsani does, we don't have a plan for after that. If he says, right, I'm, I'm happy to sustain... Our losses up to this level for this amount of time. The next person coming in will seem, well, it might take the shackles off and they'll start putting loads of money into the, the transfer market. But it could be somebody comes in who doesn't have the ability to, to fund those losses because they're not getting smaller. And the. No, uh,
2: I mean, Angus Kinnear made a good point to me. He was saying go through the championship and have a look at how many clubs have made a positive net spend this summer, which there, there were virtually none. You know, even even down at Fulham, they've done some expensive loans. They've done Norcott and they've done, uh you Cavallero know, Cavalero as, as an example. But they haven't thrown their parachute payment at the transfer market in the way that the clubs would have done previously. And you've seen some mega deals, you know, Webster, um, more pay to to Brighton, and it, it it starts to occur that with the the glaring exception of Ponteysanson, it's it's actually virtually impossible now for a club in the Championship to buy. One of the best players in the championship. It is totally, totally unaffordable. There was nobody in the championship that could have afforded more pay, and and have done that and have been realistically within FFP limits. So, or, or if you if you did, it would have been literally the only transfer that you you could have done. Anybody of that level, so Calvin Phillips as well. You know that that standard has got to go to the Premier League. So there is literally no way that that can be funded, and the figures have gone completely bonkers. Nobody makes a profit in the championship, or at least nobody who's trying to compete makes a, a profit in the championship. And how they ever write this and, and sort it out, I have no idea, but I don't think anybody has any idea, including the people who are running the game, FA, EFL, Premier League. I don't think there, there is any strategy for this.
1: Does it just need time maybe for the new strategy to kick in? What we're seeing this summer, that pulling back on the spending, maybe a couple of years down the line, everyone's got wise to it and thinks we'd better just uh, close the drawstrings, the uh, the purse strings a little bit.
2: But the wage bill's still really high at Leeds. I mean, it, it was about thirty million when Chileno was there, and he he made the effort deliberately to cut it cut it down, which is why when they were negotiating with uh, Sam Byron about a new contract, they asked him asked him to take a wage cut, to which he said, "Well, absolutely not. You know, you have to be joking." Uh, so the wage bill's now up over thirty million pounds and comfortably over thirty million pounds. The the turnover's about forty five million, which is really high, the Championship highest of, of any club down at this level, and yet. They're making losses of about fifty million pounds a year, and I I don't see given that the 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 te- television revenue in the Premier League just seems to keep increasing constantly, doesn't show any sign of decreasing or stopping or, or the revenue streams at that level constricting at all. I don't see how I don't see how anybody is going to get a grip of this. I almost feel that the only way you could stop clubs going bust, and I wouldn't advocate this at all, would be to create like a franchise system in which the Premier League has no relegation and no promotion, and then clubs don't go chasing it. And so clubs stop spending money in the interest of chasing it. But quite honestly, if that happens, most of us will probably give it up.
3: Yeah. There is no way of trying to compete and get promotion in the championship and be profitable. No. And the more you chase it, the the longer you spend not being profitable, the more chances that it's going to go pop. Yeah. And you just build that up for every club, and that's the nature of the competition. And that can't be the nature of the competition because you can only have three teams up a year, but you have 10 trying so what happens to the other seven that don't make it every season and that's one of the the most sort of reassuring parts of your interview with Angus Kinnear was when he was talking about the the FFP rules and said we're we're basically we're in this we're kind of stuck in this cycle until the rules change and hearing that awareness that they're not content to exist within this this framework and this um, as you're starting to hear it more where people are saying this lost figure of 39 million over three years is just random. It bears no relation to, to the operating costs of the clubs or what they want to do or, and doesn't help them. Nobody knows where that number really came from. And there's this, this build-up coming with Angus Kinnear mentioning it, other people talking about that, that something will have to change in the rules because they're all aware that this is going to go bad. Bolton were a championship team. And I suppose they—I uh, did notice in in their uh, their desperation. At the moment, we need somebody to buy the football club and the hotel. I think? C Ken, not necessarily a good thing, but um, well, but they, the, the they should not be about in the them position is, in the though,
2: that that they are certainly according to Kinnear. Anyway, they're compliant with profit and sustainability but they're, yeah. they're not in breach of the of the football league or the championships FFP structure, and yet are com- completely jiggered. you know they, they're so so short of money and so short of um of of any hope that they can't even raise a team for, for the next game that's coming round. And and I think I'm right in saying that Tramil put five past them, didn't they, at the weekend. I mean it was just a complete a complete walkover So you've got two extremes, haven't you, with FFP? You've got you can only spend your your revenue, your income, in which case Leeds do very well out of that because theirs is higher than everybody else. Or you can spend what you like. And it's up to you. You own the club, you spend as much cash. And they seem to have fallen betwixt and between, but with limits £30 million a season that don't seem to be based on anything particularly, don't seem to be relevant to anything, and and also have loopholes that mean that Sheffield Wednesday, Villa, Derby can sell the stadium and suddenly, in Derby's case, have a a huge amount of cash to work with within FFP. There are other ways around it as well. I mean, there are a few clubs, and I won't name the name, but there are a few clubs who think that there was a decent player last season in the Championship who was registered as a youth player in order to stop... Them having to declare his salary and and his cost uh, as an FFP calculation, and and there's, I think there's a fair amount of that going on. Creative accounting.
3: And oh, what's bizarre about that is it's not actually stopping anything bad from happening because that that club can afford that player, mm. they can pay his wages, and they're not going to go to the wall, which is what the whole thing is designed to to prevent. So there's there's really no reason to restrict them. It's what I was I said before here about the the derby stadium sale is if Mel Morris has got. 50, 60 million pounds to put into the club, that means that club is reasonably healthy. It, he, it's not going to go bust at any moment. The problem they've got is that they're not allowed under the rules to keep themselves afloat with, with the owner's money. And so they end up doing all this this mad stuff and bending rules for, to, to just to be normal. Sean Harvey? Well, Debbie Jevons. <laughs> now we'll move no, on. No, she's one of us. Leave her alone. She'll be devastated. <laughs> devastated if things go wrong.
1: Quick check in now on our features blasphemy baton, and now the booze baton that's extended off from this. The blasphemy baton, we're not going to explain it. It's too long, it's too drawn out. Started against Stoke last year. And we, actually, it is worth one thing worth pointing out we've got a double whammy against Stoke. So maybe we take this as God's final judgment about the chosen team. But if you do want to follow the whereabouts of the blasphemy baton, look out for Ross Chaplin, who is at Mason Cooper4 on Twitter. From this, also check out Garden. That's uh, at Eden J. Harris, our friend Garden, who's on Twitter who started the booze baton, which is where we are going to have our end of season promotion party, depending on who has possession of the booze baton. Started with Leeds at the start of the season, still with Leeds
2: because we're undefeated. That sounds a little bit like Stagdew I heard about once, where these guys went to the train station in London, um, stuck on Gillette Soccer Saturday, waited for the first goal to go in, and the team that scored, that was where they went on their Stagdew. Oh, I love that. I think they wound up in Gillingham or something. Or Preston. Was it Preston? I think it was Preston. Yeah, not advisable.
3: Uh, Yeah, there's no good
1: places in the air, really.
2: (laughs) Apart from Leeds. We mentioned Pontus in passing
1: there, and he's back this week. Uh, Do you think that's going to act as a bit of a a distraction for us, maybe even for him?
0: It'll definitely distract Pontus, I would say. I think it probably will.
1: When he
3: celebrates his first tackle on Bamford, that'll be the moment that everything will change. I think they will be respectful applause perhaps maybe a little bit of light-hearted ribbing and then he's probably going to go absolutely through somebody in terms of the Brentford fans if there are any there and do his old cheering act and from that moment on it'll be a I can't,
2: war on I Pontus. can't see him doing that I think even he will have enough self-awareness to think it would be a good idea to come back play well but keep your keep your head down keep the peace um, i then mean he, uh, he under- does he does deserve a decent reception because he played well a lot of the time and when he played particularly well he did look as good as any other center back that you could could see in the league he's just a bit of a difficult character and there's certain aspects to him which which make him Make him tougher to manage than than quite a few other players, but he, I always I always rated him. I always thought he was good. I, I thought technically he struggled more than Cooper with Bielsa's style of football. I think the, the playing out from the back was more of a challenge for him than anybody else. But I have I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if further down the line Brentford make a bit of money on on him um, if he goes at some stage for a, a, a fair chunk more than than five and a half million. But I understand why they did it, and and I think given everything, it was probably the right decision.
1: And not to make this the Pontus show, so let's talk about Brentford itself as a fixture. It feels like we've developed almost a mini jinx against Brentford that we need to exercise.
3: It's come very quickly after the Wigan game, which we had to exercise. And now we have the the other part of the Easter doubleheader of disappointment to get out of our system. So for that reason, it would be great to to beat them just to keep that rolling of just everything from last season is getting fixed up sorted out
2: it's not Ellen Road where there's a problem with Brentford though you see Brentford are doing Leeds a favour by moving ground they're going to cure this themselves I don't know what it is about Griffin Park and I know that this record that goes back to 1950 or whatever it is down there it's not as if they've played every season since then or, or even close but I don't know whether it's the environment, whether it's because it's tight little ground and and because Brentford feels so comfortable there. But Leeds never play well, Brentford ever. I mean, we. I I think I saw Lee Hicken who made the, the, you know, from the City Talk and who was involved in the Amazon documentary before the Brentford game on Easter Monday and, you know, so soon after the the Good Friday defeat to Wigan. And both of us said, we're not going to get anything here today. You you just know it. You never get anything here anyway. And after that on Friday, it's just not going to happen. And sure enough, they were... They were well beaten. So I, I wouldn't be panicking about Wednesday particularly because it's at Elland Road. It's, it seems to be West London where it all goes south.
1: But they never do particularly well. Brentford are always lower in the table than I think they are because they're, they're currently, I mean, I know it's on early days yet, but they're still only mid-table. Bit of a mixed set of results with a loss. Uh, One at Borough, didn't they? Uh, lost in the League Cup, and then drew again against Hull. They're always higher in my estimations than perhaps they deserve to be. Because they always beat us. That'll be it, yeah, yeah, yeah. That will be it. <laughs> so you
0: kind of just you you have this thing in your head that they're a decent team because when we play them, they seem to be. But clearly, when they're not playing us, they form drops somewhat. As Pontus said on their day, they're a very good team, one of the best teams in the division.
2: But Pontus again has seen them play against us. They are are a good team, actually. When they play well, they they do play really well. Their recruitment's brilliant as as well. They're really good at picking up players from all sorts of random areas and making huge amounts of, of money on them. And I wonder whether, when they get into their stadium, the new ground whether the model will change slightly and rather than flogging everybody every summer in the way that they do, they'll actually keep it together and have a proper go. I, I wonder whether in three or four years time, they might actually have a serious go at, at getting out of the league. Cause at the moment it feels as if they constantly get to a sort of promising position and then it's a massive fire sale, but not fire sale in the conventional sense. It's just what they do. You know, they take the money, they reinvest and, and they, they crack on again. Um, But, Perhaps now that the stadium is finally on the way, they'll be able to have another think about that.
1: Who's fancied us to win then against uh, against these lot?
3: Well, WhoScored.com points out that they are now very weak at finishing scoring chances, which is uh, sold pay. Their strengths are attacking down the wings and protecting a lead. Uh, but if they're fi- weak at finishing scoring chances, don't know how they're going to take the leading. Against does I feel, um, I feel like you
1: put a little bit too much stock into what Who Scored say
3: Well they play an offside trap and they're non-aggressive So look out for that on there I mean that'll suit Pat Bamford if they're not aggressive Even though they've got Pontus Janssen at the back
2: These seem, seem like sweeping conclusions after three games to me but
3: you, but you well, No, who never know com has never let me down We so had them the after
2: one game as well And it was things like
0: A good at good direct free kicks Because they scored one in their first game <laughs> Leeds United
1: good in the West Country
3: And was it wrong?
0: Well, not for that first game.
3: Well then, so it's right. But
0: no, we should beat them really, as long as they don't um, cheat, as they did last year.
1: Mm. Watkins, he's still there, isn't he? Mm. Dan James was at it last night, wasn't he?
0: I've not seen that.
1: Yeah, yeah he was, he was falling, off, falling over a bit for uh, for Manchester United against Wolves. He, just returning to him, he looks every inch at the minute a championship winger,
2: I think. I think it's a big jump. It's a big jump. I, play alongside good players and they'll, they'll carry it to an extent. But he, he, is, he is massively talented and I think he'll, he'll come good over time. But I don't know how much he'll do for them this season. I don't know how much they'll do this season, to be quite honest. I am not, a, I mean, no love one way or the other for, for Manchester United anyway, but I'm not sold on Solskjaer at all. I'm not, I would not be a Solskjaer disciple. I think that is all just waiting to fall apart at some point rather soon. Who's going to fall apart first, him or Frank Lampard? Quite happy to see
3: either of them. Maybe a couple of laps simultaneously. Lampard, I think.
2: Yeah, you, you, you just feel with Lampard that this could quite quickly get into a run of eight, nine games without a win and everybody starts to say, listen, Frank, you're very good here as a player and I know you know the club and everything else, um, but still it, it might be better if we, if we go our separate ways. Somebody, I was listening to some Five, live on the way home from Wigan and there was a new one, which was he knows the system. And I don't, think, I don't think they meant that he knows the formation because given that it's his, he must have a vague idea about what he's doing. But I think they meant that he knows the system in the sense that Chelsea have a transfer embargo and he therefore understands how it has to work. But you'd like to think that any other manager going in there would have been notified of the transfer embargo for taking the job. They don't tell them. What so Simeone is- walks into Stamford yeah, Bridge and says, them. wait a minute,
3: what's this? No, they say... he. It's uh, actively withholding information. He says, <laughs> yeah. that, "Can we, can we sign somebody?" And they're like, "Yeah, you crack on." Nobody tell him. Didn't yes. mention. He didn't mention this in the advert. Where, where and where's the where's the training grounds? It's like, "Sat nav, mate. It'll be fine. We'd you work it out yourself. It's all that's how it works. Unless it's Frank Lampard who already knows
1: it. Doesn't know the club this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Brentford anyway. Speaking of West London, what are we feeling for this one? Win, win, win. win. Yep, yeah. four wins. Look forward to us uh, and a crushing late defeat to a, a Pontus Janssen header. Then on to Stoke at the weekend. They're currently bottom of the league. Nathan Jones um, proving he's not one of the, uh, the chosen ones at the minute because they've been behind in every league game so far.
3: Yes, he can go and cry to his photo of himself beating Leeds last season. That's yeah, that was, it a little, that
2: was a little premature, that really, wasn't it? And yet again, you're thinking, how on earth was it that of all the teams who didn't quite pick off that particular manager and that particular um, squad, it was Leeds? S- the thing when he got appointed was he had a great record at Luton, but I was chatting about this with the guys that that I was with at the Evening Post at the time, and there were weird players in that. You know, See, weird players in that squad. Players in that squad who were kind of in theory above the level of the championship. So you had Tom Ince, and you had James McLean, you had guys who probably thought of themselves as Premier League players, and I did wonder what they would be thinking when you had Nathan Jones coming in. Whether they would be thinking, "Hold oh, on a minute, you know why aren't we getting Allardyce or?" village or you know somebody of that kind of stature who we can relate to and it doesn't seem to be going well for Nathan I, I i i'm struggling to see him surviving this to be honest i don't know where their sudden surge and recovery is coming from
3: they did get the son of god that should be fairly impressive if he comes yeah down from i mean and...
2: you would have thought that would have been the saving grace but sadly
3: i saw a glimpse of uh joe allen on the efl highlights i don't know if it was just a, a cruel camera angle or or so on, but it did seem like most of the the loaves of fishes had maybe made its way into him over the summer. He did not look, he didn't look Bielsa ready. Maybe I'm just used to higher standards now. He he didn't look um, particularly strong. Let's say
0: the year's not gone well for Stoke, has it? Given a no. year ago they were they were hot favourites to leap straight out of this division, hundred points.
2: It cannot be a happy camp there. I don't think. I, no. ju- I just don't see what anybody would be. Would be drawing from that to say, do you know what this is all going to turn around? I mean, I know, uh, I know there are people who, who commit massively to statistical analysis, so they will be looking at your know, expected goals and so on. They will be looking at whether or not Stoke catch are actually as bad as they look under Jones, but the results are awful. I mean, they're, they're truly dreadful. I mean, for they, they weren't a, even one good one when those they, players. They weren't even good when they beat us last year. Not at all. No, that was a horrible game.
3: They are uh, they're very weak, according to my friends at WhoScored.com, at defending attacks down the wings. So that will help us. They're strong at creating scoring chances, so maybe your XG suspicions are correct. Um, they attempt crosses often and uh, control the game in the opposition's half because, well, that's not going to happen. And yeah, Jack Butland in goal. It's always a surprising thing when you look at their team and you think, how, how have they still got him? And also, how can they not beat QPR if that's what they've got?
2: Amazing to think, isn't it, that Butland's loan at Leeds is not actually going to be the worst part of his career. It looked to
0: break him as well did that loan. I thought he looked he looked visibly shaken. From his loan spell at Leeds he was like, shit is that what it's like?
2: Imagine this imagine the sensation though of going out thinking it's probably going to be another four goals today. 5-1 <laughs> at home to Bolton and all that. Yeah, I, th- I thought it could only be it could only be an upward claim for him, but it does seem like this could actually be a a, a new low. But that is
3: another one from last season again. It's
2: we've we've got this little
3: run of just picking off teams that we just need to put back in their their place. And this is one going down there and winning would be a, a big help. There's always stuff like that with really, Lisa. So.
1: Does it feel to you like almost this season now we are in a position where we, we fancy ourselves to beat everybody and then the crunch will come in the biggest games against, like you were saying, Phil Fulham, You know, maybe whoever else makes it up to the top end of the table?
0: The thing with this league is you can lose all you're important games actually. If you beat everyone you should beat, then you'll still go up because you can still, you can rack up 90 odd points just by beating teams that you're obviously better than when you're as good as we are. There's only there's only probably four or five, I think, who are, who are kind of on our level, I would say.
3: Yeah, it's, and that's about somebody slipping up when you don't slip up and slipping up least against those teams that you should beat. But yeah, we, we could have gone up last season with uh, losing to, well, yeah, it was a, a game each with Norwich, wasn't it? And then, Sheffield United, we beat them, drew, it, but it didn't, it it wasn't particularly a big deal. It was losing those games games like Blackburn away, wasn't it? Yeah, Wigan at home. QPR, Stoke. So it's ticking those off of just quietly, yeah, QPR is uh, another one we need to go and sort out. We've kind
2: of gone from talking about hitting 75 points, which is all anybody used to think about, to talking about hitting 90 and trying to get to that bracket of 85 to 90 leaves so little margin for error because with the exception of, the odd team like Reading and Newcastle over the years, nobody goes through the season without a a reasonable number of defeats on on the record. So I think that's why you need a a good first half of the season to give yourself some leeway in the second half, which Leeds definitely had last year. It just got too much in the end and it was just those last four games that, that did them in.
1: So we're saying six points this week then, is that what we fancy? I think so. What will you be backing, Michael, or laying? What's your your betting pattern going to be this time?
0: Um, I'll be doing my usual thing. I'll probably wait until we take the lead and then put about a fiver on the opposition.
1: Just laying it as well so you get the draw? Yeah. Okay. Don't don't gamble, kids, by the way.
0: That's my standard model now. But it's fine. That's that's just me paying a fiver to avoid disappointment.
1: We'll pick our heroes and villains then now from the last seven days. For better or for worse, this is where we will uh, pick out those people who have done good or done bad by us. Across the last week, Ken Bates villainy award first. Uh, Ken Bates is getting a nomination as he does, as is the custom. What is it for?
3: Uh, he upset Debbie Jevons. I don't think I don't know if he ever upset uh, Sean Harvey. If he did, he probably Sean would never have dared to let him know. Um, but Debbie, not being in his employ at the time, does say that she, uh, um, she understands the Berry fan situation because she saw us go down to League one and the debt. So, um, yeah, for upsetting the new head of the EFL.
1: Yeah, I'm fine with that. Poor Debbie. She's one of us, isn't she? And we like her now. Good old Football League. Yay. As an extension of that Sky TV for their nauseating coverage of Salford City. That was, uh, that was a sick wasn't it?
0: Yeah, the, it was their attempt to portray them as plucky non-league underdogs when they're owned by, well, a billionaire and six millionaires.
3: They've got a bigger budget than Leeds. They've got access to more money than Leeds United if they, if they want it. Also, Don
1: Goodman. Do you want to put him
3: in there for that? Yeah. Again,
0: just buying into it. He'd he'd not, I don't think he'd done a great deal of research and just desperately wanted them to beat the the massive Leeds United.
3: Their old rivals.
0: Yes. In our first ever game against them.
3: Yeah. Cutting to the the stands and showing a picture of Nicky Butt and saying how much he would love to beat Leeds United. It's like they may as well just pick anybody out in the crowd. That guy would be really happy if they beat Leeds United because he hates them. Great. (laughs) Cheers for that. Good context.
1: I would like to chuck some shade at Wish, our new club sponsor. You know, the sponsor Bielsa's Bucket now uh, for embarrassing their shoppers. There was a story I picked up on online this week where a lady had ordered, shall we say, a product to pleasure herself from Wish. And um, you would expect under those circumstances, I imagine that you would get discreet packaging. I'm choosing my words very carefully here as I tell the story, except she didn't. So she bought this product of a gentleman's area. And it was wrapped skin tight with tape round it <laughs> <laughs> and dropped on her, uh, on her doormat. Excellent. I'm going to buy one for you and get it delivered to your house now. <laughs> I'm saying it was a cock and balls. She had a cock Excellent. and ball. Well, the great thing about it is I was so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed that this happened to me. And then she went on the national news and saw it. And to told everybody. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it did make me chuckle as well. Good old wish. We like wish. Anyone else? Um, Derby football club
0: for weirdly tweeting about the sorry, documentary.
1: who, who were they again? The club
0: formerly known as Frank Lampard's Derby County. Oh, right, sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, for tweeting about the documentary and then loads of Derby fans tweeting about it and you think, do you, you do remember what happened after that, don't you? Then that you, we're still playing you this year. Very odd, just odd behaviour They've become obsessed with us.
3: They are weird. I've mentioned on here before the one that I was on Radio 5 with who, when they asked to uh, how their feelings were about the, the upcoming season she said, well, now we've got rid of that Frank Lampard. I'm really looking forward to it. Cause uh, the whole hoo-ha I was like, you absolutely like Ellen road. You were singing more about Frank Lampard than you were about your own team. And now here's someone saying, oh, well now we've got rid of that guy who was holding us back. Just, I don't know. They, they are, they're just being strange. It's not even a rivalry. It's just, they're just around and strange.
1: Final nod as well for Wigan and their terrifying mascot, Krusty the pie. Krusty the pie. Yeah. What do we make of that? A pie, a pie in human form.
2: One of those you keep hoping is going to get hit with a bulge in the warm-up.
1: Yeah, Still grinning as he off to the floor. <laughs> or she. Might be a she. Don't know. But um, that was designed by two local school kids aged eight and
2: nine. I'll take it all back.
1: Yeah. And over half the entries that they got for that were received in a competition to design the new mascot. Over half of them were pies. Somebody needs
3: to check on the, the diet of children in the, the Wigan area if they're all completely obsessed with pies. I know we were talking last week about the, the Wigan high balm but I didn't think it was as uh, oh, um, we,
1: we had a, we'd, sorry we did have a follow up tweet to that saying that apparently the thing that goes with it is pee wet or wet pee or yeah something. pee
2: wet which is a term that I've never liked that sounds horrendous That's, yeah, yeah is the cop cat still kicking around Ellen Road I, I, I don't think I noticed him during the forest game eyes peeled tomorrow yeah. good on that just to return to my errant son and his, uh, his leaning towards spurs
1: he told me yesterday that his favourite animal is the snow leopard is Lucas a snow leopard Lucas is, is a snow is. leopard yeah, so there's hope yet for me to convert him back Tell him that it's uh, a Snow Leopard's feast on cockerels. <laughs> I will do. Do you want to pick a winner from those? Sky?
3: <laughs> I think so. Yeah, the whole class of '92 Vanity Project bollocks. And if you um, give it to
0: Derby, they'll only enjoy it in a weird way.
3: Yeah, it would be another trophy that Frank Lampard has won more of than, than us. Yeah, it, just pile it on on top of uh, one beating them, so not allowing the, the billionaire funded Salford City to have their giant killing moment and then chuck a villain award on top and Excellent. then set it on fire.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, piss on it. Absolutely. Great. Andy Hughes Hero Award then. Now, um, Niketia debut goal against the Salford to extend from, uh, from that. That was nice. And Berardi's goal Berardi. through the goal yeah. at Salford
0: as well. And someone pointed out uh, Fiona Suke on Twitter pointed out it was exactly five years since his kung fu debut in the League Cup. Where I was sat with you actually for that one, wasn't I? When we were sat in the East stand and it was it was just meters from us, and we sort of went, "Is he just? Yeah, okay, that's a red card. Yeah, we've not we've not seen. It was just confusing, wasn't it? That first challenge, the sort of chest high scissors.
3: I kind of miss the early days of Berardi because every game he'd come on as a sub, and everyone would go. Phew. What's going to happen? And then something so would still, happen.
2: There still is an element of that. Yeah, I've I was, again. I
3: was yeah. going to say five years on, he's come a long way, but also he's, he's, he's
1: stayed exactly where he was. He's got that glint in his eye, hasn't he? Yeah, I'd like to nominate Marcelo Bielsa for his press conference Wisecracks. Um, the one in particular about naming the same team was very enjoyable. That made me smile across the last week. And that's his job. We don't get many jokes out of him,
2: actually. So that, yeah, that was, uh, that was well received. Does he seem a bit more relaxed to you? This year, in the press conferences at least. I think so, though. I don't get the impression he's been more relaxed with the players through the summer. I no. think, on the contrary, he's, it, he's kind of whipped them harder than, than ever. But I don't know, maybe he's just getting used to us. Maybe you know, Familiarity doesn't seem to have bred any contempt yet, but there is, there is ample time. Um, but no, he does. He seems quite, seems quite relaxed. Seems in good, in good form. Who else would you like to nominate?
1: Who's had a good week? Jeremy. <laughs> J-Dog. Old <Who>? J-Dog. <laughs>
3: um, he recognised me on a train. Which is one of the most bizarre moments. I had to go to London to be on TalkSport to talk about the uh, Ooh, the book that's available. From all, um, you'll do anything
1: to whore, any, whore yourself off now, won't you? It was Hawks, Sell
3: out. It was Hawksby and Jacobs, so it was reasonable. In fact, it was very good until it wasn't at the both end. Both of them, though, was it? No, I realised at the end as I was thanking uh, Paul Hawksby for um, the influence ninety minutes had on my life that he pointed out he was Andy Goldstein. Like that, yeah, I think, was, yes, talking to the wrong person. Brilliant. But I is, don't is, know. Isn't
0: he about twenty years younger than?
3: I'd even like to try and prepare. I'd Googled them all on the train. So I knew what everybody looked like. So I wouldn't embarrass myself. And then, but well, I, I did, I got off the train and was basically straight in the studio. I had a chat with David, who was a friend of the podcast and then just woof. And they were playing the music as I went in. Anyway, I had to spend seven hours in London for this 15 minutes of radio because, uh, talk sport don't seem to be on board with the Northern powerhouse. Um, and as the train was pulling into Leeds, this, this uh, the guy turned around to me and went, all right, Moscow. And I, must have just stared at him and said, hello. And I said, I, I'm not sure why I've, I've met you before. And he said, oh, you haven't met me. I'm, I listened to the podcast. And that's an incredibly bizarre situation to be in. But he was very nice. And I said um, in my confusion that I would nominate him as hero of the hero of the week.
1: Okay. I'd like to nominate Calvin Phillips and his entire family for being lovely in the documentary. I immediately warmed to them. And he, he's just got a lovely smile.
3: He has.
0: He has. He's the, the highlight of it so far from what I can see. And the bit with his grandma saying she seems to be fancying Bielsa was, uh, was a charming little, little side project
2: for her, I think. It's the way Phillips tells them as well, isn't it? I went to Huddersfield on trial, had a day there and thought, nah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he knows, doesn't he? He knows. Also, Jack Grealish, uh, long-time favourite of this podcast, uh, particularly back end of last season, for being a massive loser 20 times over. Um, he's making my life better by seeing his... A
0: record breaker. Yeah,
1: it's just everything about his demeanour and the way he carries himself, the way he dresses himself, his hair... Uh, his fake tan. I think he had eye makeup on the other day as well. That as well. All of it. It just, it makes him very, very easy to dislike, which also in turn makes it very easy to enjoy his failures.
2: Yeah, Sky seemed to spend a lot of money on billboard ads with his face on as well, talking something to do with um, make your dreams come true, lose 20 games in a row. <laughs> and work for
1: Saint-Tropez or something like that. Because, God, look, he's very orange. He's a very orange young man. Anybody else then before we wrap this up? Did we mention Bamford for scoring some
3: goals? Screamers. Yeah, you should have that. Keep him keep him going. He needs the uh, the
1: moral support. Right then, let's pick a winner. Let's pick a winner from those. Who's your hero? Have you got one, Phil? You it's can... got to be Berardi,
2: isn't it? Bless him. If he doesn't get it this week, having his, his second goal in about 40 years, then he's not going to be happy and he's going to come round your house. His first goal was tarnished by it being a
0: really shit cup defeat as well. So a goal yeah. he can enjoy. Both well, yeah. his
3: goals have kind of gone under the radar and not had the... Because the, the one last week almost got accepted as standard. It was a little bit of like, oh, wow, Berardi scored, but... It should be something. There should have been a, a city holiday. Maybe when he scores at Road, that's when we all get a week off work.
2: Oh, actually, just a, a final thought about Hero of the Week. What about Casilla for giving the lad in the way and his pie back? I think it was after Bradley's goal. Landed on the pitch, passed it back and then carried on eating. At least somebody in... Good self-awareness. Half
3: the population of Wigan looking on, drooling at the mouth. Oh,
2: God, You're possibly just trying to get a to pie. stay near
0: his line. <laughs>
3: yes tempt, tempting him back into his goal with food you need to pass you
0: need to pass this back
1: <laughs> well I think we should give that to Baradi. never mind Never mind. Bamford's three and three you're doing your job finally Patrick excellent Baradi. one in one finally then grab your subscription for this season on the website loads of ace merchandise there including the famous Leeds Carajo mugs and uh, you can find links to our other podcast there, the Extra Ball at the squareball.net. And thank you very much, Phil, for coming on and uh, sharing your time with us. Thank you for having
2: me back. I obviously made the retained list. <laughs> yes, just and uh, go and then sell yourself. Yeah, well, if you if you want to have a read, uh, we're at theathletic.co.uk. It's fifty uh, percent off for a year subscription at the moment, so two pound forty nine a month. Um, but away from the, the sort of corporate side of it, there is loads of great football writing on there by considerably better journalists than me with lots more who are due to join soon as well and um, our good friend Moscow might be appearing on there shortly also which is an added bonus for you but um, if you did I would be very grateful um, and I hope you enjoy what's on there
1: and enjoy your blue tick presumably your driver outside is going to be uh, just waiting because that's what happens to people in blue ticks now they get drivers absolutely
2: yeah yeah yeah. it's
1: it's the same old limo though thanks a lot Phil and uh, we'll speak to you soon thank you the square ball podcast